I'll mention before we get right into the Bible study, uh, we're having a spaghetti dinner for those who are here at least, and uh, that's tomorrow evening. At, and we're going to have we'll have dinner at six. So uh, we'll have the Bible study after dinner. So spaghetti dinner tomorrow evening at six o'clock. Meaning I'll sleep through Bible study. <clears throat> All right, I think that's enough then of announcements. Let's go on to John 11. Uh, now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Eternal with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So when Emmanuel heard that, that he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now he knew uh, what was happening, knew that he indeed would die, but he also knew what he was going to do uh, to resolve the problem. Uh, and it did turn out to the glory of God, and the Son of God might also uh, get the attention that he was supposed to have as a result of it. Now, Emmanuel loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Uh, this isn't the only account that he was apparently very close to those three siblings uh, of each other, not of him. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days till still in the same place where he was. Now he, there was a method to this, a reason for this. They didn't understand, but uh, normally when somebody's sick, don't we go rushing over to see what we can do and how we can help and anything that can be done? And that's a natural human emotion of trying to help and do what we can to serve and a time of distress, but he stayed right where he was. Then after that, says he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. And his disciples said to him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone you, and you're going there again? <laughs> this didn't make much sense to them. Uh, they were afraid he'd get killed. Of course, he knew when he was going to die. He knew how he was going to die. He knew everything leading up to it. He was very, very familiar with all the Old Testament prophecies about himself. So he says, Emmanuel answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbles not, because he sees the light of this world, the physical light of the sun, in other words. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbles because there's no light in him. Making a very simple physical analogy there. These things said he, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then as said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. In other words, they only knew he was sick. And they thought if he was getting sleep and rest, then he was on his way toward healing. Howbeit, Emmanuel spoke of his death, 
But they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Manuel to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And he had said up there before, uh, this sickness is not to death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So uh, he withheld from them that Lazarus had died until this point in the story. One more comment there about the 12 hours in the day and, and at night. He was about to bring some light. Uh, Lazarus was dead and the lights had gone out, uh, but he was going to go to Bethany and bring him back to life and to light. So I think there was kind of a double meaning there. They says, were well, you going on up to, to Bethany? He says, yeah, I thought I'd go while it was light so I could see. Uh, I'm not going to walk up there in the dark. Uh, but at the same time, I think he was uh, saying in a veiled kind of a way that, uh, you know, it's, it's all dark for Lazarus now, uh, but he's going to see the light of day again. So he had said there in verse 14, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent you may believe. Nevertheless, let's go to him. So, prior to Lazarus' death, when he was sick, had he been there as a normal course of action, he would have healed him, and then they wouldn't have learned what they were about to learn. So, uh, he didn't go up deliberately. He wanted this to be a very, very important lesson for his disciples. Sometimes God does things in a way that we wouldn't do. He sees a bigger picture than we see. And uh, we want what we want, and we want it now, and we want it the way we think it should happen. Uh, and yet, he has his own way, which will leave a bigger lesson in the long run. And I think that's an important thing for us to consider right now. Uh, we've read all these prophecies, and we know they're going to come to pass, and we know they're going to come to pass even in this age before uh, Christ even returns, that the, the ones about the church and the remnant and, and the blessings that will come and so on. We know they're going to happen. He's given us some hints as to what time of year, perhaps, uh, that I go from the first month of the year, wondering, is this the first month that Joel is talking about? And then I go to the 924, where he says he'll bless us from Haggai, and I think, well, it didn't happen uh, this December, so maybe it'll happen next April. And then if I get to April, I say, well, it didn't happen in April, maybe it'll be next December. <laughs> so he, he gives us some tantalizing things, but he doesn't tell us the whole story. So he's going to do it however he pleases in such a manner that is going to be the most dramatic and lesson-bearing uh, in the way that he does it because he's going to show the whole world that he is God through his remnant people and the many, many other things that he said he's going to do here at the end uh, before and during the tribulation. So he had held things back here on purpose so that he might not just heal an ill man, but isn't it a much more spectacular and faith-instilling experience to what someone was resurrected? Uh, 
mean, that's, that's really got to get your attention. Anyway, verse 16, Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. So, here again, he's concerned about the Jews and uh, them trying to kill Christ, and he figures, if I go with him, they may kill me too. So, if, you, if you're set on going, I'll go with you, and we'll all wind up like Lazarus here. Then when Emmanuel came, he found that he had laid in the grave four days already. Uh, if you resurrect somebody ten minutes after they die, uh, it could be said maybe he wasn't dead. In fact, once in a while we have a case where somebody says so-and-so was declared dead and then they came back to life or they were in a coma and declared dead. Didn't mean they were, but somebody thought they were. But uh, you wait four days and uh, it becomes pretty obvious somebody's dead, especially if they're not refrigerated and embalmed and all that stuff. Four days is pretty bad, and we'll see a comment made about that here in a minute. Now, Bethany was near to Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. Uh, a furlong is roughly an eighth of a mile. So, uh, they were, uh, Bethany was about a mile and three quarters, give or take a little bit, from, uh, from Jerusalem, the seat of the Jews. Uh, I checked into that here a while back on purpose because, uh, I had an idea where perhaps the original site of Jerusalem is. And uh, there's another scripture to tie together with this. I don't remember now where it is, but I, I can find it. But it says that uh, Bethany was at the Mount of Olives. So if you take a mile and three quarters from approximately where I feel that the original site of Jerusalem might be the most likely place for it anyway, what I've seen, uh, and it's measured on Google Earth a mile and three quarters from where I think the Mount of Olives is. And there's a big arrow there that we didn't see originally when we were up at the feast up there that I found later. Uh, plain as day, when you walk up and look at it, it's pointed straight east right at that hill with all the towers on it that's probably or is most likely a candidate for the Mount of Olives. It's the right distance from there. And Bethany may have been somewhere at the base of or on that mountain or around the edge of it somewhere. So the distances are right for whatever that's worth at this point. Anyway, verse 19, And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. So the fact that Lazarus had died uh, had been spread around. A word reached a lot of people. And they were coming to pay their condolences uh, and so on. Uh, to the sisters. So, in four days, it had become quite apparent that Lazarus was indeed dead. And that's what Christ had been delaying for. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Emmanuel was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha to Emmanuel, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. But now I know that even now, whatsoever you will ask of God, God will give it you. There was a a very hopeful, very believing attitude. 
and I know if you'd have been here, he, he wouldn't have died. But now that you are here, if you ask, God will raise him up. So she anticipated to some degree uh, what could happen. Emmanuel said to her, your brother shall rise again. Now you could interpret that if you understood the resurrections. Well, he's going to be up in the resurrection. But that was not what he referred to. Verse 24, Martha said to him, I know, well, yeah, she even says it. I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Emmanuel said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Well, I know he's coming up in the resurrection, but I was hopeful. So then he quizzes her a little bit. He says, you know, why you look to the resurrection at the last day? I'm the resurrection and the life. Uh, it doesn't matter if somebody appears dead or is dead. He's going to live. Do you, do you really believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Is it any wonder that Christ felt close to Lazarus and Martha and Mary? When you see attitudes like that, he didn't see many attitudes like that. Verse 28, And when she, is, when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The Master has come and calls for you. Uh, as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. So she was in mourning. She didn't get up. But when he asked for her, she jumped right up and came. Now, Emmanuel was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. So he hadn't kept moving. He just stopped and was waiting there. The Jews then, which were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, she goes to the grave to weep there. So... They didn't discern where she was headed. They just thought she was going out to weep and mourn some more. Then when Mary was come where Emmanuel was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. Same thing Martha had said. When Emmanuel therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, or he troubled himself. That's an interesting insight right there into him and his attitudes and his approach. Uh, he had deliberately stayed away so Lazarus would die for a very important reason. But at the same time, when he saw them all emotionally upset and frustrated and weeping and crying and, uh, and very, very distressed, it bothered him. Even though he had a purpose to work out and a reason for what he had done, he was very emotionally distressed at their distress. And I guess what I'm saying is we need to recognize that he cares very deeply for us. And he says, cast all your care on him, for he cares for you. Uh, and here's a good example of how he feels toward human beings. We are troubled. We go through much tribulation, trial, turmoil, 
chastening difficulties as we are as a church now. Uh, I mean, from worldwide on through until today, uh, and how things have gone. And it's not lifted yet. It will be soon, but it's not yet. It's taken longer than we thought it would. Uh, but that's of no consequence. Habakkuk had the same attitude. He said, this isn't happening near as fast as I thought it should. Uh, how long, O oh Lord? He got a little frustrated. And then he realized, you know, I'm kind of on thin ice here. I think I better back off and uh, go sit on my watch and wait. <laughs> God will take care of me. That was the last thing he said there at the end of, of, of Habakkuk. So we have to uh, be careful to control our attitudes and our emotions and realize that everything will be done in God's good time and will. He knows how old we are. He knows how sick we are. He knows how vulnerable and everything else we are. Uh, he knows how few we are. But we have to sit on our watch and do our part and wait patiently until he says it's showtime. But don't think he doesn't care. And all of the trouble and the trouble, the problems that we're going through <coughs> affect him. And so does our going to him and giving him no rest until he does these things. <coughs> he used that unjust judge thing on purpose. <coughs> Excuse me while I cough a while. Well, because the unjust judge allowed his emotions to get to him, and in that case, it bugged him. And he says, go ahead and bug me uh, until I do it. <coughs> I said before, that implies there is apparently some wiggle room in the time frame. <coughs> Because if he didn't relent early, what's the point of saying, stay after me till I do it? So, uh, if we are righteous and our effective, fervent prayers avail something, then that's good. Anyway, he was, he was emotionally upset himself because of their trauma. And said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. We'll just take you to the place. And Emmanuel wept. It's been said the shortest verse in the Bible. Of course, man divided the verses, so whatever. But it is a full statement. And he was moved by emotion and actually cried. Now, he was a man's man all the way. He wasn't a, he wasn't a doily. He was a powerful uh, masculine man and he cried so it's okay guys then said the Jews <clears throat> behold how he loved him it was very obvious to them that he had very very deep feelings for Lazarus and some of them said could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died if he healed the blind guy why couldn't he had done this. <coughs> Emmanuel, therefore, again groaning in himself, comes to the grave. He was very 
very emotionally disturbed by this whole thing. He cares for his friends. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. And Emmanuel said, Take you away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, or Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time he stinks, for he's been dead four days. That was part of the point again. Uh, anybody that walked by there who was standing there and got a whiff didn't doubt that Lazarus was truly dead. Emmanuel said to her, Said I not to you that if you would believe that you should see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Emmanuel lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Obviously, he had already been praying and thinking about this and talking to the Father about it. Then he thanked him even before Lazarus was raised. So there's total, complete, and utter faith in the Father from the Son. He, he said thank you before the event even happened. And we have a scripture that says God speaks of those things that uh, happen before they ever do. Just like he tells us in all the prophecies and so on about all the things that are going to come to pass here at the end and wrote them 2,000 to 2,500 and, and even more years ago. <clears throat> and now we're seeing them begin to come to pass. Verse 42, And I knew that you hear me always, but because of the people would stand by, I said it, that they may believe that you have sent me. Uh, and when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, <clears throat> bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. There was an apparition coming at you. That was probably quite scary to anybody standing there. Emmanuel said to them, Loose him and let him go. I find this was a very interesting approach. When Christ did miracles, he often, or sometimes, would put all men out or put all people away so there would be no lack of faith. Uh, and I think that there's an example or two in the Old Testament. Was it Elijah or someone, even with the, the, the widow's dead child, he didn't do anything in front of the widow. He took the child up to either his room or the child's room. It's not quite clear and laid on him seven times, and the child was revived. He didn't do it in front of Mama, because <laughs> the level of faith may not have been there. <clears throat> so there are times when they put all people away and did something. In this case, he let them all stand there and said, Lazarus, come forth. So it was a very, very dramatic thing. And he had been setting this whole thing up to be dramatic. Verse 45, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Emmanuel did believed on him. So it had an immediate effect. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Emmanuel had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council 
not the first time that had happened, and said, what do we? What are we going to do? For this man does many miracles. They weren't going to believe him. They weren't going to accept him as a son of God. And, and yet they were admitting that he was doing miracles. But the more he did of good, and it took the attention off them, the more they hated him. They couldn't be humble, they couldn't be meek, and accept the fact of who he was and what he was doing, and believe him, and believe on him, and follow him. Too much vanity, too much ego, too much pride. The world's the same way today. That's why nearly, or nearly, well, over 90% of the population of the earth has to die. To humble them, make them meek, get rid of the pride, the vanity, and the ego, and they come up with cobwebs on their ears in the second resurrection, uh, they'll have a little different attitude. <clears throat> anyway, what do we do? He does miracles. If we let him alone, all men will believe on him. We can't have that. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. They were afraid that if a lot of people followed Christ... The, the Romans would see it as a rebellion and that they would come and wipe them out. And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said to them, you guys are just dummies. You don't get it. You don't know anything at all. Nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and the whole nation perish not. So he said, we'll make him a scapegoat. We'll kill him. His followers will disperse or die or whatever. Uh, so we'll tell the Romans, this guy was starting a rebellion. He was starting an insurrection or a coup d'etat. But we killed him. And uh, therefore, everything's peaceful now and you don't have to come kill us. So they were going to make him a scapegoat. Kind of like Sounds kind of like some of the rhetoric I hear today about Trump. Uh, make him a scapegoat, kill him, uh, and then that'll solve our problem about getting who we want in there. I'm not predicting necessarily that'll happen, but I think the, the possibilities are certainly there. It wouldn't be the first time they killed uh, a candidate or a president for their purposes. <coughs> Nor is that strange in the annals of man's history. When you go back and look at the kings of Israel and how there were so many plots and conspiracies and coups and even their own children killing them. So there's been a lot of that throughout man's history. Well, all the way back to Cain and Abel. And this spoke he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Emmanuel should die for that nation. So he was, he was making a prediction here. And being the high priest, he knew he could help carry it out. So if he knew he had the power to make it happen, then he could prophesy it and look pretty good when it was all said and done. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. So uh, from that day forth, they took counsel together to put him to death. They they bought the high priest's idea. 
He's a scapegoat. Let's get him dead. And then we can tell the Romans, hey, we solved the problem for you. Emmanuel, therefore, walked no more openly among the Jews. Though that was the end of it. Now, the disciples had already warned him before he went back up there, they're there to kill you. But he wanted to go up there to do something spectacular and did. But he also realized what they were doing. And he may have been there at times after that, but not openly, not so that he could be known. But went thence into a country near to the wilderness into a city called Ephraim, and there continued uh, with his disciples. So he kind of retired from public life in a way here for a little while. <clears throat> and the Jews' Passover was near at hand. And many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Do we examine ourselves before Passover? Then sought they for Emmanuel and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will come to the feast or that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man knew where he were, he should show it that they might take him. So he'd kind of disappeared that everybody anticipated he'd come up to the Passover. So they put the word out. Uh, what, what do we do here? If you see it, say it. Or uh, what's that expression they use now to be politically per correct? If you see something, uh, say something. I guess that's it. So that's the way it was then. They were. They had their scouts. They had their spies. They had everybody looking for him, so that they could kill him and fulfill what the high priest had said. That brings us down to chapter 12. <clears throat> My voice is so on edge tonight, I think I'm just going to stop here. I know it's a little short, but uh, I don't think I can make it through another chapter, and I better save it for another day. So let's stop there at the end of chapter 11 for tonight.